The scripture reading for this morning is taken from 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we'll be reading the verses 12 to 36. You'll be able to read that, you'll be able to find that on page 312 of your pew Bible. 1 Samuel 2, the verses 12 to 36. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires. He would then answer him, No. But you must give it now, and if not, I'll take it by force. Therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother used to make him a little robe, and bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, The Lord give you descendants from this woman for the loan that was given to the Lord. And they would go to their own home. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the woman who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Know, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not hear the voice of their father, because the Lord desired to kill them. And when the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with and the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place? And honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, Far be it from me, 
For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. And you will see an enemy in my dwelling place, despite all the good which God does for Israel. And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart. And all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. Now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. So far the word of God. Beloved congregation of our Savior and Lord, for those who were here in Owen Sound a number of weeks ago, we reflected on the situation in history, the situation in history that brought us to the opening chapter of the book of Samuel. The people were caught in a seemingly endless cycle of deliverance, disobedience, punishment, and repentance. And this cycle was the era of the judges. There was no king in Israel in this time, and everyone did what he saw fit in his own eyes. They thought, if it feels right, it must be right. Even so, there were faithful people in the land by the grace of God. There were those who prayed for the deliverance of Israel, even knowing how bold it must have seemed. The nation had fallen again. They were disobedient and they weren't united at all as God's people. They had a history of doing this. And yet this faithful remnant called on God in his mercy. And God in his infinite mercy answered. Although the people didn't know it yet, God had sent them a symbol of hope in Samuel. God proved to them that he heard. It didn't matter how unfaithful they had been as a nation. And it didn't matter how far they had fallen. The Lord heard. And the Lord proved that he was faithful to his covenant promises. He responded to them in a way that fulfilled the principle that he later placed in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. What a precious promise this was to them. And what a precious promise it is to us again. That reminder that God hears, and that if we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, God will hear from heaven. God will hear from heaven, and he will answer. Today we see the way in which God answered his people in a different way. 
More specifically, we will see how he gave them a priest who would be a partial fulfillment of their cry to God. Now he more fully promised to fulfill it, even in the face of their falling back and their faithlessness. And we'll look at that under the following theme and points. The Lord gives an obedient priest to his covenant people. And we'll see, first of all, worthless men. Second, a weak rebuke. And third, a faithful priest. Worthless men, you might think. It seems pretty harsh and maybe a little bit judgmental too. But that's actually a fair way to understand these words where we hear, now the sons of Eli were corrupt. This literally translates to, now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, or sons of worthlessness. They are described as worthless men. The situation that the people of Israel lived in at the moment was a terrible one. Their priests were meant to be the spiritual cream of the crop. The best and most holy men in Israel, they had become absolutely corrupt and evil. They were regarded by God as worthless men. The priesthood was made up of the descendants of Aaron. Now Aaron was the brother of Moses who had led the people out of Egypt into Israel. He was the one who had spoken for Moses on more than one occasion. And though he was a man with many faults and shortcomings, and you can read about that in the history of Israel's travels through the desert, God still loved him, and God placed him in a position of honor. He was meant to intercede on behalf of the people. He and his sons acted as the people who would go between them and God. The Levites would do much of the other work around the temple to keep the day-to-day operations running. But the priests had the special privilege of coming before the Lord himself with the sacrifices and the prayers of the people. But like many of the other people of Israel, the sons of Eli that we see here today, these descendants of Aaron, Hophni and Phinehas, they had forgotten this special position of theirs in the eyes of God. They had scorned and they had rejected him. They were living, walking proof that the priesthood too had wandered away from God. Their very names were evidence of this fact. Hophni and Phinehas weren't Jewish names, but they were Egyptian names. For the Jews, everything about Egypt symbolized slavery because they had been held as slaves there for centuries. In a way, though, it was fitting that their names were Egyptian names, wasn't it? Because God had used his delivering from slavery as a vivid picture of how he worked to deliver his people from slavery to sin. The fact that even the priesthood had embraced the names of those who had enslaved them was in itself a small picture of what had happened to them. The priesthood was leading the people of Israel back into slavery to sin. So what were they doing that was so offensive? There are two things that stood out in particular which God wanted his people to notice as they looked back on the life of these two men as it's recorded in the pages of Scripture. 
We read that first of all, it was their custom for the servant of the priest to go fishing for meat in the pot of a sacrifice and take for himself all the flesh that the meat hook brought up. Now, in itself, there was nothing wrong with taking meat from a sacrifice. We read in Deuteronomy 18, verse 3, that the priests were allowed to take their due from the sacrifice. By letting the priests take from the sacrifices, God was providing for the physical needs of these servants of him through the sacrifices of the people. But there was a problem. We read in Deuteronomy 18, verse 3, and this shall be the priest's due from the people, from those who offer a sacrifice, whether it is bull or sheep. They shall give the priest the shoulder, the cheeks, and the stomach. There were only specific parts of the sacrificed animal that they were allowed to be given. But we read in our passage that it was their custom to take. And it was their custom to take as much as they could possibly fish out with their meat hook. We also read that they bullied the people coming to offer their sacrifices into giving up their meat with the fat still on it. This might not seem like a big deal, but if you read through the book of Leviticus, you'll see that time and time again, the fat belonged to the Lord. Fatty meat was considered the best part of the meat. And so it was declared, all the fat is the Lord's, in Leviticus 4, verse 29. Beloved, these were the leaders of religion in the nation. Israel was in a very dark place. If their worship was where these things happened, Israel was in a very dark place. But all of these things were only symptoms of the problem. The main thing that caused God to describe Hophni and Phinehas in terms of being worthless men was not the fact that they did these things, although they deeply grieved the Lord. The main problem was that these men, who were meant to be spiritual leaders of God's people, we read in our opening verse here, they did not know the Lord. These men who were spiritual leaders of God's people did not know the Lord. Now Eli, as the high priest, he failed his sons in this case, and he failed the people of God. He was a man, as the high priest, who had the power to strip his sons of the priesthood. He had the power to discipline his children, but he chose to protect his sons over protecting God's holiness. He chose to protect them over giving glory to God. And because of that, God himself intervenes. God himself rebukes them. And he declared that their line would come to an end, that they would die, and they would have no more descendants to carry on their name. And this was a big deal. The end of the line had covenantal significance. Your line continuing, being able to trace your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents back in the line of God's people was hugely important for the Jews. Because that was what marked them as special. 
They were God's chosen people. And God's faithful promise was to have a people for himself that spanned generations. But because of their sin, we read that it was the will of the Lord. It was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, on first reading that, seeing it was the will of the Lord to put them to death, you might think, well, how could they stand in the face of that? This doesn't mean that they're not accountable for their sins. Looking back on their lives, this brief summary of their actions, we can see that they are the ones who ignored the rebuke of their father. They are the ones who turned their backs on the Lord and led their covenant people astray. We find something similar voiced by Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke at the time of his crucifixion. In Luke 23, verse 29, he says, If they do these things in the greenwood, what will be done in the dry? If people were willing to crucify him, Jesus Christ, when the time was ripe for repentance and grace was freely offered, what will they do when that time has passed? For Hophni and Phinehas, all their lives long, they had the opportunity to repent. But now the time of grace had passed. God had decided their fate for their rebellion and he was leading and they're leading the people astray. And God wanted it readily evident to the world what they were being punished for. From a real world perspective, while we don't know the sovereign plan of God, we do know his decreed will. We do know that he holds us accountable for the sins that we commit. We've seen that in the curse that followed from the fall and disobedience of Adam, and we see it carried out all the way to Hophni and Phinehas today. And this is a clear warning to those who harden their hearts in sin. It may be that God is allowing it for a time, and God is doing it for His reasons. But our passage makes it very clear that you will be held accountable for the actions in your life. Now is the time for repentance. Now is the time for salvation. Heed the gentle and loving rebukes of those who are around you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, for they are acting in love to call you back from a fate that's much more terrible. But for those of you who do honestly struggle, not hardening your hearts, but seeking the Lord, who are looking to the grace of God to find comfort, you can still find encouragement in this passage here. You can still find comfort. At the same time as we read about the wickedness of Eli's sons, this wickedness that's so terrible, where we see their degrading of God's worship and where we see the fact that this leads to them using the woman at the doors of the temple. Right in between that, sandwiched in between that, we see a glimmer of God's grace. We see 
Men abhorred the offering of the Lord because these, of these sons. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, even as a child, wearing a linen ephod. There wasn't anything special about Samuel. He was raised in the same atmosphere as Hophni and Phinehas by the same man as Hophni and Phinehas. And yet we read about his faithful service, even as a child. He was an obedient son serving in the temple on behalf of the people of Israel. But this faithful service wasn't because he was particularly special. This faithful service was because of God's blessing and God's faithfulness. It was God's mercy despite mankind's inability and mankind's wickedness. This is a mercy that has power. This is the same mercy and the same grace that God shows to each of us today. Coming before the Lord, we don't come to him because we're particularly special in and of ourselves. But we look to the Lord and we pray to him and we call out to him in repentance and faith and he transforms us. He brings new life where there was death. And here we see that grace reflected most vividly in a physical way. This is a small picture of the spiritual grace that God shows us. If you look at what immediately follows in this small portion in between the, the descriptions of the wickedness of the sons of Eli, we read of Hannah. Hannah was barren and childless before, unable to produce children. But as God was ending one line, as God was dealing with the hardness of heart and the wickedness of one line, he was beginning another. In his grace, in his sovereign mercy, he brought life where there was death. He opened the womb of this barren woman and he gave her what had been impossible for her before. Of course, we can see earlier how she, he did that first of all through Samuel. But we see his continuing faithfulness here to her through the fact that he opened her womb of this barren woman so that she conceived and she bore three sons and two daughters immediately in the years following. Where there was only death before, God opened the way and made new life. And in this little moment, the Lord showed to all Israel that he is the God who shows infinite grace in the face of impossible odds. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Even the redemption of this fallen, wicked, and broken people, Israel, and the restoration of this priesthood, God spoke about this redemptive action through an unnamed prophet to Eli. As we saw before, Eli was a descendant of Aaron, 
his line was extremely privileged to be allowed to serve in the temple. As priests, they were chosen as mediators, go-betweens between the people and between God. They had the privilege of coming closer to God's presence than anyone else in the world at that time. They had the honor of bringing their offerings to their God. And yet, they rejected this honor. But God showed his mercy in this, that despite their waywardness and rejection, despite their taking his good gifts and twisting them for their own purposes, God promised the Redeemer. This is an echo right from back in the garden, right? Adam and Eve taking those good gifts of God and twisting them. And God bringing the seed promise, Genesis 3 verse 15, saying that he will bring a redeemer. We see this echoing through the centuries, through millennia, until it reaches this point where God once again shows his good gifts, despite their waywardness and rejection, despite their taking his good gifts and twisting them for their own purposes, God promised a redeemer. So why is this good news? Wherever we find the name of Israel in the Old Testament, we can put in our old names. Wherever we find the people of Israel taking God's good gifts, like worship, and coming to Him, and sexuality and their relationships, these good gifts, and twisting them, we see ourselves coming into the exact same situation. We too take God's good gifts time and time again, and we too misuse them. So when we see Israel's wandering, and we see Israel's misuse of God's gifts, we wait with bated breaths to see what the Lord will do. How will he react? Will he reject his people forever? Indeed, we do see that there are consequences to sin. Here in this passage, we do see that if you treasure something or someone higher than God, and you abandon God for that, He will still work despite you. And your personal little kingdom where you're pursuing being your own personal little king of your life will be overthrown in the process. But if you turn to Him in repentance and faith, He grants you hope. For where God does advance his kingdom, it's within the framework of his promises. Where God does advance his kingdom, it's through his faithfulness to a faithless people. And he does it here through his prophecy of a faithful priest. After the prophecy of the consequences of the rebellion of the priesthood, we read, Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. We read in the following chapters of this first book of Samuel, So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. We already see this small reflection in the person of Samuel. But Samuel himself was not that priest. 
Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. We know from Chronicles that he was the son of a Levite. So he could only be an immediate shadow of these words that were spoken. There was, however, another faithful priest who came later, after the fall of the high priesthood of Eli, and after the fall of his family. Zadok was the name of that priest. In the reign of Solomon, God lifted up a righteous priest to serve before him. In the reign of Solomon, there was a line that was established of a man who would serve faithfully before God and whose sons would serve faithfully before God from the time that the temple was raised up to the time of its destruction. God fulfilled His promise to His people. He raised up a faithful priest. But even Zadok's days were numbered. Zadok himself was mortal. He died and his line ultimately failed. Even the prophesied faithful priest faced the end of his days. And we see what happens as the people, the people who are meant to be the leaders in the priesthood of God depart. We see what happens. We see in verse 30, Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. The house of those who follow the Lord, the house of the priesthood that obeyed the Lord and walked in righteousness before Him, who esteemed the Lord and honored Him, they the Lord would honor, and they the Lord would bless, and their line would carry on. But they are simply men, and men fail. And we see that response, those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. As with Eli's line coming to an end, so too Zadok's line came to an end. So where does that leave us? Where man fails, and, and man fails time and time again. We can see this throughout the history of God's work among his people in, right, right from the beginning, from Adam. You can see it traveling through the generations to the judges who were right before Samuel and to, through the priests who served in Samuel's day. Man fails time and time again. But where man fails, God provides. And we need only to look forward in history to see this truth played out. We have another priest that we can look through, look to. We have another priesthood that we can take comfort in. The promise of one who has been raised up to heaven, of one who fulfills, of one who, we read in Hebrews, serves in that heavenly temple as our faithful high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he's not just our high priest, but we read in Hebrews 2 verse 17 that he's our merciful and our faithful high priest who set things right between God and man. You see, this earthly priesthood was broken. It failed time and time again. They offered sacrifices to God. But could broken and sinful man ultimately set things right with God? Certainly not. But what they could do was point ahead to the one who could. The one who cleanses us from sin. The one who redeems us, even in our failures, in our morality, in our failures in parenting, and in our failures in so many different ways. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the faithful priest, even when we were ultimately faithless. He came down to earth. He suffered. Even when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Lord, if there is any other way, Father in heaven, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. He's the faithful high priest. He offered himself up as the perfect sacrifice. And he continues to reign and to rule and to serve in heaven as our great high priest. To serve perfectly, to serve faithfully. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the faithful one where we are faithless. And he stands before the throne of God holding up his ultimate sacrifice in our place. Because of him, every time that God looks to those who put their trust in him, he doesn't see a broken and faithless people. But he sees a people who are pure and spotless. A people who are white as snow. I'm reminded here of Psalm 149, where it speaks about the people of God. Psalm 149, verse 4. They sing praises to the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise in the assembly of the saints. And why does all this praise come out? For the Lord takes pleasure in His people. The Lord takes pleasure in His people. And He will beautify the humble with salvation. God looks at us because of Jesus Christ. And He takes pleasure in us. If they could already say that in the time of the old priesthood, how much more is it true today? When you look at Hophni and Phinehas or wandering Israel, it may bring grief. Because you look at yourself and you look at your own shortcomings and you see it reflected in their actions. But remember, when God looks down on us and we cling to Christ in faith, He doesn't see people who are failures, but He sees Innocence. Those who are declared innocent, whom he delights in. He sees his children bought with the precious blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. And more than that, standing as forgiven, we become priests in the kingdom. Standing as forgiven, we ourselves are transformed into a new priesthood that can offer up pure sacrifices, living sacrifices every day, 
even here today, bringing up our sacrifices of praise. And as we go forward each day this coming week, bringing ourselves as living sacrifices every step of the way. Beloved, submit your entire lives to him, our heavenly high priest, who perfects our offerings before our heavenly father and who perfects his people, holding nothing back. Amen.